Hi, I'm Alicia Michalaisa-Gonzalez, an emergency physician and the clinical training lead for the California Bridge Program. And this is episode three of our Emerging Trends training series, New Best Practices in Harm Reduction. Today, we are joined by two awesome physician assistants, Josh Luftig and Arianna Sampson, for a conversation and an FAQ on fentanyl test strips, naloxone, HIV and hepatitis screening, and more. This audio was recorded during a live virtual training session in March of 2022. Please note that any brand names used by our guests are purely out of habit or what we're familiar with in our own practices. So there are no financial disclosures for myself or either of our guests today. Let's start by having our guests introduce themselves. We'll start with Ariana. Hi, I'm Ariana Campbell. I am an emergency department PA in Placerville, California. So I'm in a rural community and I am one of the co-founders um, along with Josh and, and some other really amazing people of California Bridge. And I'm a director and one of the co-principal investigators. Super excited to talk about harm reduction today. So thank you for having me and thank you everybody for showing up. Josh. I'm Josh Luftig. I'm also a PA in a urban setting in Oakland, California, and um, I'm one of the, the co-founders of California Bridge, and I am the director of Harm Reduction Services. Wonderful. And these are, I mean, they didn't say this, but I'll tell you, these two people know more about harm reduction than almost anybody else I've ever come in contact with and worked with. So we are really excited. In our in our very first part of this series, we talked about starting medication for addiction treatment, buprenorphine, for patients specifically who use fentanyl. That is one big pillar of, of dealing with the opioid epidemic is treatment. So if you're looking for that, hit up our previous training sessions. Today, we're going to talk about a big second pillar, which is harm reduction. But before we get started, I want to make sure everybody on this call today or on this webinar, it's talking about the same thing. So what does that mean? What is harm reduction? What does that mean for us um, in the emergency department and in healthcare in general? All right. Well, uh, I I can start out here. Um, So what I was going to talk about really is like there's this foundation in what everything we're doing, which is that addiction is not a moral failing. It's a chronic, chronic medical disease. There's acute exacerbations and there's things that we can do. And not everybody I talk to wants medication. Is medication harm reduction? Absolutely. I just want to reduce you know, people's harm from substances, from any medical issue. And so I, I actually started talking about harm reduction shortly after I started giving medication because what I realized is there's there's a lot of complexity sometimes in in people's lives and and I used to be very naive and think like everybody wants medication right now and I realized that that's not necessarily the case but what I can do is provide number 1 a welcoming environment so how do I do that well we have you know we have buttons and we have signage in our ED and we've actually just done some nurse training some provider training in how we talk to patients and about people who use drugs. Because this is like a foundation. This is one of the first things that I tweaked a little bit is my language. And that was harm reduction in that, you know, anybody who spent time in an emergency department, you can hear everything. You can hear how people are talking about you. Um, You can hear, you know, what's going on in other rooms, how people are talking about other people. And when we are able to use appropriate language, people first language, and I always say like, 
you know, if you just start with the person first and you're not sure about the rest, that's where you can start. But that's really important because words can kill. I know this because when I'm nice to somebody and use appropriate language, sometimes they cry. So why would somebody cry just because I'm being nice and using appropriate language? Well, because they've been traumatized in the past when folks haven't been treated like human beings because perhaps they've been struggling with a use disorder. So this is really important. Just that one thing, language, how you're talking to patients about patients, people who use drugs, it's really important that you take that harm reduction perspective in. So language matters. The other thing is, you know, we've had this weird notion that, you know, somehow people with substance use disorders shouldn't be in my emergency department. I mean, I practiced for 17 years and there was this weird assumption. And what if we told people, if you broke your leg, the emergency department's not the place for you. Like there's no, sorry, nothing we can do for you. So we create this very unwelcoming place And then we shame you when you get there. Oh, yeah, there's nothing we can do. Why would you come here? You broke your leg? Why why are you, why, you know, why did you put yourself in this situation, right? It just, it's just something to consider how we talk to people, how we talk about people, and how we, even our body language, when somebody comes in, somebody who's, who's using drugs, they can pick up on a lot of things. So just changing your perspective a little bit and owning it, making sure, hey, I know what I'm doing. I can reduce harm to this person. And I have one example I'd love to just highlight is I was treating somebody who was coming in for actually years before I ever engaged in harm reduction practices or treating substance use disorders with evidence from the emergency department. But he was coming in repeatedly for abscesses and he was primarily using methamphetamine. And there was just one time when I sat down and had a very real conversation. I had changed my language, my approach to how I talk to people who use drugs, and he felt very comfortable talking to me about his substance use. So I took this opportunity while I was, you know, while I was taking care of his abscess and really talked to him about his use. And he said he was injecting daily. He couldn't hold a job. He, he couldn't really be a father to his kids. He was really struggling in life. He was struggling in relationships. And we talked about the things that he could do to, to change this. And, and this was really interesting because I said, well, are you interested in talking to my navigator? And that felt too big to him. <laughs> so he said, no, I'm not ready for that. I said, do you want me to refer you to a clinic? Oh, no, no, no. Like, I, no. And then I said, well, what things could you do to make things a little safer? Because I've seen you five times for abscesses. So... And so we talked about injection use in general, you know, making sure he was, you know, appropriate technique. Actually, and I felt honored he was sharing some of his normal practices with me because sometimes that's kind of a hard barrier to break. But then uh, then what's interesting is, you know, we talked about maybe switching to smoking. At the time, I wish I had smoking kits. I do now. But man, that just should be a normal conversation. Hey, you're you're experiencing abscesses from injection, you know, from injecting drugs. Have we talked about other routes? What would be safer? So we talked about it. And he. what's funny is I just didn't see him for about a year. We talked about reducing how often he was using, things he could do to get a job, etc. So he comes back. I see him in the hallway. He actually stopped me. He said, hey, are you that like drug doctor person? I said, no, I'm, I'm a PA here. <laughs> and um, and uh, it was just funny. But he said, I just want to thank you because 
you talked to me in a very real way about my 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 methamphetamine use. I mean, he said about my you know my crank use, and he said, and I I'm only smoking it now, which is why you're not seeing me anymore for abscesses. He said I've totally reduced how often I'm using, and he said it's it was really helpful to talk through that with you. Thank you. And he said, and I've got a job now. He was just really excited to tell me about that, and. I mean, for me, I was just having a conversation with him while doing a procedure. And that moment he remembered as this like changing point in his life. And it was just incorporating harm reduction like I would have done for somebody who maybe was was dealing with high blood pressure that wasn't taking medications or somebody with diabetes who wasn't taking their medications like they should. Yeah, I, I, I think we should, if we can pivot for one second, I really want to highlight what you just said, which is Harm reduction is a thing that we do in the emergency department and in the hospital all the time. We talk to our patients with diabetes about diet, right, about exercise, about cutting out sugary drinks, like, because not all of them are going to be able to lose 50 pounds. So there's not a one-size-fits-all approach. This is what we do. We talk to people with orthopedic injuries about helmets and, like, how to be safe when you're active. And so same thing with patients who use drugs. There are safe things that they can do to prevent death and permanent harm and severe, severe illness. So I want to shift into talking about some of those examples. We've heard Ariana give a great example, a patient who wasn't, maybe the conversation was, I want to switch from from injecting to smoking, something more low risk versus I'm not really ready for the medication and a substance use navigator. So Josh, can you walk us through some of the examples that you think are, that all of us should know about? What are some of the most important tools in doing harm reduction for our patients? Naloxone. (laughs) (laughs) So, we love naloxone. This is this is just bread and butter. Um, there's lots of content we've we've given on naloxone, but of course, this is a bedrock of harm reduction. And your program out of the ED, we love um, you know the, the strategy that the sort of existing strategy of co-prescribing and prescribing naloxone has proven to unfortunately be a failed strategy with fill rates less than one per, around one or two percent, and that is that is not going to you know, fight the overdose crisis. So we recommend take-home naloxone. Uh, there's a robust, California has a great uh, DHCS-run program through, called the NDP, Naloxone Distribution Program. If you're from another state, please go onto their website and just see how it's run and set up a very similar program using grant funds and just giving this to hospitals to distribute to emergency departments where you have people of incredibly high risk in and out every day, high churn, a very high risk population, and get, giving the the ability of the staff to just give out these kits, um, like like giving out you know like water, like passing it out, having a low threshold, high high impact programs, and that's how we're going to help the um, overdose rate. We also like having labels on these kits, so putting labels on here that say struggling with heroin or pain pills and has a number of a substance use navigator who can connect you to help is great. These become little billboards that go out in the community. Each bot, it like, it like maximizes the effect of each kit going out is having these labels, suicide hotline, phone number, and a call to action. It says carry naloxone, save a life. So you kind of, you're getting these messages out there. So these kits, and then you have people who can get these kits and head back to their group of friends Give them multiple kits for peer distribution, for secondary distribution. Um, it's a fantastic way to leverage your impact of your program is to have, hey, are you going back to a homeless encampment? Do you have a group of friends? Who else? How many people do you think you know that should probably have these? And you give them 
as many kits as they they could give to people out and just really it's so empowering um and a powerful intervention so that's 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 the naloxone spiel that's great the the stickers josh do we have a sample of those stickers available we've got some interest in the chat people who want a copy of what you're doing yeah, we have. Um, so the person to connect with is Charles Hawthorne. Um, and we can. Yeah. So basically or me or connect with me and we will um, we are going to do two things. One is we can help at the moment. We can help you. Um, we can help cut craft stickers for you. It's using Avery. These are just regular labels. We get these neon stickers off Amazon. You can you can find these on Amazon. You print them out yourself. You get the template from Avery. For these little simple, inexpensive s- stickers, and then you you design it yourself. We can help so you we, with that. So we've got a, we've got a team, is what I hear you saying. So info yeah. at cabridge.org. That's the email. Info info yes. at cabridge.org. We'll connect you to Charles and the people Josh is mentioning. We'll get you hooked up with the templates. Let's do it. And we're also releasing a youth-specific sticker. So really exciting. We've had a lot of questions about youth. We will bring that around in just a minute. Um, I want to shift to what I think is another really hot topic, and we're going to go out of order, I think, from what we planned. But let's talk about fentanyl test strips. There are so many questions already popping up. So let's talk about that next. Tell me about those. So fentanyl test strips. These are, uh, I have one. I have have some here. I've got props. So these, this is how they come. So they're manufactured by BTNX. They come in these these really portable little kits. Um, and they work like somewhat like a pregnancy test. They are technically a lateral flow amino assay test, but you don't have to remember. But it's like a pregnancy test. It's like some of these rapid, these at these antigen tests that people are using for COVID. It's the same technology, very similar, with one huge difference is that it's the opposite. So the uh, a positive test is when a line does not show up. So luckily on the every packet that it comes, I don't know if this is visible, but you can see it actually gives you what's a positive, what's a negative, and what's a failed test is right on the packet. And so that's really important to go over with anyone you're dispensing these to. Um, they're inexpensive. They run about a dollar each. You can get even, even less potentially. Um, and they're part of a drug testing or drug checking strategy. So another thing to bear in mind is that these tests react differently to different substances. So it's, um, there, is a, there is an education component that goes along with this. You need to know what you're testing. And there's different strategies for testing drugs um, depending on what you're testing. So like methamphetamine will give you false positives if you don't do it properly, for instance analogs of fentanyl so fentanyl you know when we say fentanyl we actually are talking about multiple substances There's like alfentanyl and carfentanyl and you know all these and then other things that you know just like if you actually test what fentanyl is it's multiple substances and some of them may not be detected by this um the other thing to bear in mind is this is actually a repurposed urine test so this is this is a urine dipstick so when you get a, if you get a supply of these, it's going to say, you're going to talk about urine testing, <laughs> but, but in the United States, these are used widely across the country and for a long time for actually directly testing the substance itself. I'm going to go through actually a little walkthrough. And as, as Josh is getting that set up, I just want to make sure everyone sees, we do have a really awesome brand new resource that walks through all the things Josh is talking about and more about fentanyl test strips. So we pop that link in the chat. 
Feel free to take a look at it. It has pictures. So everything Josh is going to show you, we also have in pictographic format. But here we go, Josh. Show us how these work. Okay. So number one, okay, before you, when you're, when you're talking to it, when you're passing these out, number one, you're talking about universal precautions because this is just one tool in the toolkit and it has, it has problems. It's complicated. There's false positives. There's false negatives. So the first thing you say when you're, when you're training someone in on this is that, um, we're going to use universal precautions. We're going to use, uh, we're going to have a, a, if we can, we're going to try not to use alone. We're going to use test doses. We're going to have naloxone present. We're going to do all these things to keep ourselves safe. Um, and then that's number one, that's always universal. That's, and then this is just, just to augment that and try and add another element, another tool to the toolkit. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to do it for in, in, if I'm injecting. So if I'm injecting, I have my syringe here. I have my cooker. I've cooked my heroin. I'm going to do this is just the example I'm using here. So just take, I've cooked heroin and then I draw up my shot, drawn up, set aside. I have the residue inside the cooker. I take my test strip. This is what they look like when they're taken out of the packaging. There is a blue side, which is the side I'm going to hold. And then there's, I don't know if you can see it, but there's little wavy lines on this side. The non-blue side is the side that goes in. Goes in for 15 seconds. Well, okay, so I have my, I have my, this guy, and I forgot one other element, which are my blister packs. So these, these are sterile water. You can also use tap water. But these are handy because these are five mLs. So I'm going to take this, rip the top off, put the liquid in, dissolve it, make sure it's got, you know, it's basically mixing, mixing in there. And then I dip my test strip in for 15 seconds. And then I let it sit and wait for two minutes. Okay. And then I read my test and I read my test in this white zone in the middle is going to show up with my lines. If it has one line, only one line, it is positive for fentanyl. If it has two lines, it's negative for fentanyl. That's the test, okay? Um, false positives are going to come from methamphetamine and ecstasy, okay? And that's a big problem because methamphetamine, people who are using methamphetamine, you know, of course, we're seeing tons of contamination or, or mixing of fentanyl with methamphetamine. So it's important to clarify that, um, that that, you know, and the way to get around that is to increase the dilution. So the solution is dilution. <laughs> so you increase <laughs> the dilution um, and then that will, they, you will actually be able to test it. And that is going, if you go into our resource that goes through how to do it, you basically double the dilution and you should be able to get a valid test with math, math or ecstasy. The other issue, so that's the false positive sides. The other issue is false negatives. And that's dangerous, right? Because you think you, you've tested it and it doesn't have fentanyl and it actually does. And why does that happen? And that is the chocolate chip cookie effect. <laughs> what is a chocolate chip cookie effect? <laughs> that is that the cookie is the substance and the chips are the fentanyl. And you may be testing a part of the substance that doesn't have a chocolate chip in it. So you get a false negative. So the way to get around that, there's a couple strategies. One is that you want to, the safest method is to, is to test everything that goes in your body. Okay. So you take the entire substance that you're going to use and you dissolve all of it and you test it and, and then you use it. So that's one strategy that is not realistic for many people. They want to test just the residue in a cooker or take a portion off. Um, 
so, but they have to be, you know, they have to be really aware of that um, and try and try and crush it. If it's like say pressed pills or heroin and you try and really just even it out. So you have, you're mixing all those little chocolate chips into the rest of the cookie so that the sample that you're testing has a, is, is valid, has a valid representation of what's inside. Um, yeah. So that's the, that's the main thing. That's like such a main take home. The, the pluses of this are that it's, like I said, it's inexpensive. It's one of the only ways to do drug chest testing in America right now. We don't have, we're not like Portugal or Spain where you can go up and, and bring your substance and the government will test it for you, which is amazing. We don't have that service. So this is like the only viable way to do this in, in the United States right now. The other thing is it may be something that is, if your institution isn't ready to do syringe exchange like or provide syringes or other things, this can be a way to kind of start to get that that element of your program going where you're meeting patients where they're at. They're like, your institution's not quite ready to go do that whole thing, but this is pretty innocuous. It's, they, you know, this starts to get that conversation going with, with, um, uh, with your institution. And talking about conversations, the, probably the, one of the biggest impacts is the conversation you have with the patient. So this conversation about fentanyl being in meth, about testing and the strategy and getting people to start to think about the contamination of the supply and what their plan is and the universal precautions and having the locks and having a buddy, doing a test dose, doing all those things, that conversation that's triggered by starting to talk about fentanyl test strips really is a big wake-up call for many people and is really useful. So I, I want to point out too that Josh is just, he just reviewed so many details and there's even more in that little handout. So I do want to make a giant plug this is why in the California Bridge model, we love our substance use navigators. This is a time-intensive conversation, right? There's probably like a doctor version where you kind of broach the subject, or I should say clinician version. I'm going to include our PAs and NPs in there too. Um, and then there's the substance use navigator version, right? Where we really sit down and we talk about what this means um, and the importance of opening that conversation. Because in harm reduction, we're trying to save lives, right? This is not about abstinence. This is about meeting people where they're at and teaching them to do things safely. And it's not just a, here's a test kit. Good luck to you. We got to explain how these things work. Same as if you start a patient on insulin, we don't say, here's a bunch of insulin. Good luck with your diabetes, right? There's lots of education, lots of education. Same with blood thinners, same with all kinds of stuff that we do. So think about harm reduction the same way you think about other complex chronic medical diseases. It needs, it needs time. And that educator often is that substance use navigator. I do want to take a quick beat, Ariana, two minutes, because then there's another thing I want to bring up in general. But Another thing we do for harm reduction is talking about public health screening, right? Some of the things we are worried about with injection drug use, especially HIV, hep C. Talk to me about what we can do to reduce harm with those types of things. Well, you know, just on the same note of what Josh is talking about, knowledge is power, right? We, you know, folks should have have knowledge of what's going on, what's going into their body, uh, just like they should have uh, knowledge about maybe an infectious disease that's going on. So offering rapid in the emergency department testing for HIV and hep C is really, that's where we're all headed. So I can tell you, I can see David J is on this right now. He has been working really hard to get rapid HIV and hep C tests in our department because we have this opportunity. We are seeing folks who are not otherwise necessarily able to access their traditional medical system, you know, make an appointment in two months and keep it to get that hep C, go to the lab, have the right insurance, have your ID. So how incredible is it? We have such great treatments for HIV, hep C. When we 
can identify it rapidly. And yes, sometimes there's follow-up testing, but just to do this screening in the emergency department with a point-of-care test that comes back in less than 45 minutes. So a, a barrier to this, as many I'm sure have said or experienced in their emergency department, well, I don't want to get any lab result that's not going to come back to me because I don't want to be somebody else's problem in a few days or in a week down the road when the send out test comes back. That's why we have this re- these rapid tests. You can you can really inform folks what's going on. Here's this test and real and then and we have navigators who can help navigate the system so they understand what's going on with their own body and then they're able to access care. So we're even, you know, we we would like to go the direction of offering, you know, prep and there's there's all sorts of opportunities that we have in the emergency department really to to impact what's going on in our communities and people's awareness of what's going on in their bodies, just like we do for other things. So that's my very quick version of why it's really important to to get started in this direction. And a key point you said, they are treatable. Like a lot of these diagnoses now, hep C, HIV, we have treatments for these things and we didn't used to. And so the importance in harm reduction comes in, we can actually get somebody, oh, we can get rid of their hep C now. That's new. So we really ought to be finding it so we can treat it and we can get people onto, onto treatment. Um, a ton of questions in the chat have been about um, minors. Is naloxone allowed to be something you give to somebody less than 18 years old? And can I give them fentanyl test strips without talking to their parents? Like, talk to me about harm reduction in a minor. And then we'll end with some take-home points at the end just so you can be thinking about them. But what, what do I do about minors? So for naloxone, there is no age restriction on distributing naloxone. So that's, that is Full stop. clear, <laughs> like clear as day, no age restriction. Um, Can I add to that, Josh? Yeah. Uh, I was going to say that actually um, the California School Nurses Association has been very much um, like they have their own toolkit for naloxone. Uh, I heard when I went to their conference. So we're trying to get naloxone in schools, actually. Nice. And they're, um, I know, Josh, you were able to point a school nurse that I sent to you to resources to do that. So I just want to comment on that, that this this is something we should be able to make available in schools. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of like, you know, and part of that is, you know, they 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 in in middle schools uh they teach uh cpr so kind of pairing this pairing naloxone overdose reversal training with cpr training as sort of universal you are a citizen of the united states of <laughs> any age you need to you should this is Period. you know this is what we do this is how yeah. we care for each other cpr of 2022 and then if you're by the way we keep talking about harm reduction kits if you want to see a full example we do have one on the california bridge website the link is posted in the chat take a peek at that so what about the rest of that kit what about you know um fentanyl test strips or even like sterile yeah. syringes what, what do i do with yeah. my great nurse? question so the um so for sterile syringes you have to be 18 or older to receive syringes from a pharmacist or physician in the state of California. Fentanyl test strips um, do not have a, they don't, they're not covered. There's not, I'm not aware of any regulations that cover distributing fentanyl test strips to minors. So it's an un, it's a, yeah. So syringes are, are discussed. Naloxone is, is clear. There's no guidance on that. There's not, um, that's an un, undiscovered area. There's, you know, it's one of these things where this would be a good conversation to have with the family if they're part of the conversation or, you know, it's, it's hard to, you know, law enforcement can, can sometimes have the wrong idea about things and think of these things as paraphernalia and, you know, on and on and on. So those are, you know, it's good to be clear eyed about what you're doing. Um, 
And I, I think this is actually tying together what you both have been saying, which is from the very beginning, we started talking a little bit about language as part of harm reduction. A lot of these tools end up being a conversation starter. And then if you yeah. if you have a minor and you're able to include the family or the parents, I mean, that is the hugest harm reduction win of all, right? Is getting everyone involved in that harm reduction. So if you've missed any of the links you've been posting about all of our resources, here's the QR code for you. And in our last one minute, each of you, one or two take-home points. If you could say one thing that you want everyone to walk away with about harm reduction um, for people who use opioids and fentanyl in particular, what would you say? Uh for me, harm reduction is definitely a, not only a way of life, it's a way of practicing medicine. We should all be harm reductions. Wasn't it do no harm, right? So first yeah. do no harm. So we should all be proud of that. I actually tried to get the the harm reduction coalition to tell me I'm a harm reductionist. And they're like, come on already. You're a harm reductionist. You're promoting these things. So I just want to say, think about how we treat all medical problems. Incorporate this into how you practice medicine, how you talk to people, even how you live your own life. You know, I, I think this is really important to just incorporate this into everyday things that we're doing. So that would be my take home. I love that. First, you know, harm. We are harm reductionists. Josh, what about you? I would say, one, beware of the chocolate chip cookie effect. Yeah. <laughs> it's so important. And it's such a key uh, education point, and it, and it really will save lives to just have that. And it's, you know, very catchy. Um, and then two, and along with that is the conversations are so important. And that just brings together, you know, what you're doing and really forges an alliance with the patient, changes the whole relationship of healthcare with, with people who have been mis mistreated by healthcare um, and really puts you, you, they really get the sense that you're in their corner trying to think of different strategies and, and help them uh, achieve their goals and dreams. Absolutely. A lot of other great questions were asked in the chat. Remember, if you want help answering your specific questions or coaching up your team or talking about what does a harm reduction kit look like within what your hospital feels the rules are? And it's really unique. So I don't want to want to assume. Reach out to us, info at cabridge.org. We are super happy to provide that technical assistance. Some things I heard that I just want to echo. You need to tell your patients, number one, words that are supportive and loving and welcoming and be their harm reduction specialist. Start that with a good, good rapport. Number two, never use alone. Whatever you're going to do, there is a hotline out there. You can Google it. It's called never use alone. Give it to your patients so that even if they are alone, they have somebody who can be there to make sure they don't overdose. Number two or number three, <laughs> have naloxone. Give them naloxone. They're not going to fill your prescription. Give it to them. Give it to everybody. It's the CPR of 2022. And if you're going to use fentanyl test strips, realize there are limitations. But what they're great for is opening a conversation about the rest of these risks. Thank all of you so much for being here. Mega thanks to Ariana and Josh. I know we could probably do this for three hours, but hopefully this is a great use of your time. Reach out to us with anything else that you need. We're going to keep this series going because you guys love it. So we're going to talk about fentanyl many more weeks to come. Thanks for being here. And we'll see you next time. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. And that's it for today. We talked about so many different harm reduction strategies, and if you want more details on fentanyl test strips or examples of harm reduction kits or more information about starting an naloxone distribution at your site, head to the resources page of our website at cabridge.org. If you missed any of our other sessions or are interested in more hot topics in MAT, we have so much more in store for you. For a full list of our trainings and more on fentanyl, again, you're going to head to cabridge.org and click on training. 
Do you need technical assistance or have other questions that we didn't answer today? We're here for you. Connect with us through the California Bridge website or email us, info at cabridge.org. Thank you to Ariana Sampson and Josh Lovetig for sharing their wisdom with us today, to Marco Gonzalez, our sound engineer for this episode, and to all of you. Thank you for being here and for doing this work with us. We'll see you next time. California Bridge is a program of the Public Health Institute, which promotes health, well-being, and quality of life for people throughout California, across the nation, and around the world. Copyright California Department of Healthcare Services.